This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. Welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Sklina. And I'm your other host, Matt Sklina. Matt, today's episode is for the lovers of Vancouver. That is, city lovers. That is right. Yeah, we have a city planner on, Neil Lamontagne. Unbelievable guy. He's, did you say that right? Lamontagne? I think we, uh, we, 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 we over Frenched it yeah. uh, on, when we spoke to Neil. I think you said Lamontagne. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, think, I over I think scarfaced I that. <laughs> I think it's Lamontagne. Is his name, right? Reloading. Uh, <laughs> anyways, the, um, he's a city planner. He's uh, worked at the city of Vancouver. He worked at the city of North Vancouver. That's right. He is on several city planning boards for Vancouver. Exactly. And he's a PhD candidate at UCLA. So many hats this guy yeah. wears. Teaches he teaches at UBC. at UBC. teaches at Langara. Yeah, super impressive guy. Super impressive guy. And the, and the great part about having Neil on is that because he had that role at the city, but he's decided to go into academia. Right. He's taken a step back and he brings a nice critical eye to uh, to the city. That's totally that's really uh, great talking. To it him. reminds me of our episode with Francis Beulah because he's so engaged in the city, but he's not afraid to critique it. He's not afraid to be, you know, he gives praise where praise is due and he, he critiques where he thinks. He, and he knows he what he's talking about. 
and he definitely knows what he's talking for about. For sure, for sure. But Matt, just quickly, uh, we were talking about, actually, we were talking about driving in the city because we drive, as realtors, we literally, you know, we live at the office in the and, and in our cars. Yeah, a right? lot of time driving. And with, you know, we've been talking about Northeast Falls Creek, the viaducts coming down. and We're going to be spending a lot more time in our cars. I think, I think we are, if we're allowed to be in our cars. That's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the key thing. Yeah, we're yeah. going to be spending a lot more time on our bikes. Um, <laughs> but it, it's true, right? I listen to so much talk radio that I can pretty much recite the CBC you whole schedule. You can't. I can. Let's I can. hear it. Un- honestly, I can. I every morning I get up. I've got. I've got. Uh, Rick Clough. Rick Clough. <laughs> So I, can I can't actually even, recite I can't it. Even start. You I got Rick Clark, but I, you know the event guy with the with the cowbell. Gal do. Gal Gal do. I've got, That's I, only on Mondays. I move on if I'm if I'm late. I got the current with Anna Maria Tremonte. Yeah, uh, fantastic show. Move on to the queue, which Tom Powers. He's doing an amazing job. Yeah, recently took over for Shad. Yeah, and then I I'm usually uh, there's always a break for the news. Yeah, of um, course. on the then, hour. Yeah, on the hour, and uh, then it moves on to uh, BC Almanac, which. I, did I miss something in between there? I might have. I don't know. But BC Almanac is where I get my gardening tips. Yeah. Yeah. BC Almanac is a fascinating program. <laughs> That's <laughs> sarcasm. They yeah. asked us to be on, on uh, BC They did. Almanac. Yeah. Back when uh, back when they were trying to hang string realtors up, uh, they asked us to come on. And we were busy that day. But uh, Easily stringable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's uh, that BC province-wide show that is... Uh, yeah, so fascinating. So fascinating. We'll leave it at that. We'll never be invited back after yeah, this episode. Yeah, that's, that's uh, so, Matt, uh, what are you listening to these days? You know what? I'm listening to uh, CBC. I think both of us are doing CBC around the clock here. Uh, you know, I was thinking on the weekends. Oh yeah, right. Give we me got, three episodes from the weekend. We got. Is <laughs> this just an advertisement yeah. for the CBC? Well, not so much actually. Uh, have you heard? This is that. <laughs> I love this. Is that <laughs> no? That's, that's a great that's show. That's a great best. show. And but maybe the best show. Terry O'Reilly's under the influence. And if anyone knows Terry O'Reilly, yeah, he's, he's coming got a new, with a book. He's got a new book. We would love to have him on. Talking about the marketing of real estate, it would be a great episode. Yeah, yeah. He's that's an amazing show. Uh, the debaters love the debaters. Yeah. yeah. There's also that um, the news quiz, comedy news quiz. <laughs> I'm a bit hit so, or miss so, on that one. So so yeah. Uh, we got Writers and Co. Okay. <laughs> For someone that uh, I used to read download that as a podcast. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. You were the more um, literary. Uh, yeah, yeah. You were capable of reading. That's my point. <laughs> I, I was able to read at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. lost that skill, yeah, but. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's a their programming is uh it's on point. I heard uh, you had an interesting story, didn't you? Hear there's some show you were listening to where there was no, some... it was Anna Maria Tremonte. And oh, you it was were, a this was, Yeah, I was driving over I to the podcast that. studio to talk to Neil actually right. yesterday, and yeah, she had a fascinating guest on. I was telling you, so this is uh, an academic who has taken the aggregate data from Google. Okay. And he's trying to match that up to how people respond to surveys or kind of the general idea of of how people live in the world and he's finding out that there's so, some there's some key distinctions so yeah he had some interesting analysis from this right. data that he's taken from google one so in canada 25 percent of men and four percent of women admit to watching porn when asked in survey okay but it's actually searched for uh in google more than the weather that's that's maybe not that surprising not not based on my household. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying. <laughs> Generally speaking, well, there's a Terry O'Reilly did a show on that. It's it's a it's that th- guy's those fantastic. are some of the biggest sites in the world, right? Yeah. Advertising and 
Apparently the most cost-effective advertising. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Anyways. Yeah, so the States, the U.S., he focused on race, which is obviously not very surprising either. He pointed out that when everyone was celebrating Barack Obama's inauguration in 2008, that Obama and KKK was being searched for. Tons suggesting that, you know, people were... There was a a sort of underbelly in the U.S. that was uh, not so excited about his presidency. Again, you could see, I mean, with with race relations the way they are, you could see that that might be a a more common search. Yeah, not not super surprising. Then he went to India's searches. Okay. uh, And he was quick to point out that he'd spoken to doctors and and others uh, about this, and no one admitted to knowing anything about this. But one of the most common searches in India? I'm just, you've got me on on the edge of my seat here. My husband wants me to breastfeed him. Wow. <laughs> that, that's, I, that, that <laughs> no, doesn't, the, how? <laughs> there's some cultural differences. Jeez. Uh, it's a big That thing. was on the CBC? This was on the CBC. And no, his point was that he what went, was the, he's trying to get people to talk about this, what is apparently a very common search. Wow. <laughs> uh, and nobody knows anything about it. Wow. So. On that note. Here's our interview. (laughs) Enjoy, guys. All right. So we're here with Neil LaMontagne, a city planner in Vancouver. How are you doing, Neil? Uh, Great, guys. Yeah, thanks for taking the time, Neil. So, Neil, hey, can you start by maybe just telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, um, like you say, I'm a city planner. I uh, used to be in public sector here in Vancouver. I used to be a senior planner with the city of Vancouver, and I used to, for a short while, manage uh, community planning with the city of North Vancouver. But I, you know, for whatever reason, uh, I decided to go back to school, do a doctorate, and try to become an academic. So I think of myself as one of those pracademics, someone who tries to blend the two worlds. So I'm lucky I, I teach at UBC and Langara, both uh, planning and in the uh, architecture school. Uh, it's a tremendous one. And I'm also with the City Planning Commission and uh, Urban Design Panel, which keeps me somewhat in the loop. And you're also at UCLA, is that right? That's where you're studying? Yeah, so I'm doing my doctorate at UCLA. And we thought we were busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's... I don't have a podcast, so I, <laughs> you know, I'm not... <laughs> You can handle it. Take it on. (laughs) So, Neil, uh, we brought you on because you're kind of a go-to guy to talk about urban planning more generally. What is Vancouver doing right from a planning perspective, do you think? That's a good question. I I think the Vancouver model is very much alive and intact, and it's really um, beneficial. And the city has always done a really good job of leveraging it, you know, the discretionary power, the, you know, the power it has to approve or not approve applications to not only raise design quality, um, but also, you know, get the improvements to the public realm that we all enjoy, like the seawall is such a great example. But throughout the city, uh, making sure the development uh, really contributes to the broader public good. The city's done that really well, continues, I think, to do that really well. It's really good at negotiating, sometimes frustratingly so, <laughs> but it, it still retains that. Uh, and, and, you know, it, you know, the city's great at engagement. It has really sophisticated engagement platforms that they probably need to evolve more, but it's certainly great at that. And, you know, if anything, I think uh, in some ways the city is better than ever, right? We have more housing choices than we've ever had. 
There's more ways to move through the city easily uh, and cheaply and sustainably. Uh, there's more fun. Uh, we have, <laughs> there's more ways to play in the city. So there's a lot of great things. Uh, the cities do really well. What do you think Vancouver is doing wrong from a planning perspective? <laughs> well, you know, it's, at the same time, it's a really challenging time. There's a lot of anxiety in the city. Uh, people are stressed. The future is uncertain. And I think we, you know, as a planner, I, I think that uh, planning can help us through this uh, and working really with communities, challenging them and connecting them with, with tools to adapt. And if anything, we're doing less planning than ever. Uh, planning has shifted uh, somewhat to, you know, really emphasize how do we process development applications? Uh, how do we process rezoning applications? So it's, it's moved into more of a current and less of a future-oriented stance. I think we're really, um, we, we need a, a more future-oriented stance. We're doing, I think, almost, if anything, less planning than ever, and a time when we need more. And when we're doing it, it still is really top-down. So we're not evolving the model in a way to really take advantage of this tremendously amazing uh, intellectual capital that we have through the city and come up with uh, a way to go forward. And we're just, we're not taking on the citywide issues. And that I think a lot of people uh, think we need to, you know, people talk about a citywide plan. It doesn't have to be a citywide plan, but we need to be having a broader citywide conversation. I'm starting to see uh, hints of that with the housing reset and some other uh, moves. So hopefully that will evolve. It's interesting that you say we're doing less than ever. I was struck, you know, we've been talking about the 105 key for application in Chinatown. Yeah. And there's a historian out at UBC, Henry Yu, who uh, oh, yeah, spoke right. at the hearings and, and wrote. But I was struck that his big argument was do nothing, right? Like don't, <laughs> don't, build yeah. the, don't do another viaduct, which is how they were framing it. But it was interesting that that was such a powerful message that actually seemed to catch on with people. Do nothing. When everybody we talk about, you talk about anxiety, um, are, you know, are trying to, are, are demanding change. And, and uh, so it does seem like the city's in kind of a, an interesting moment. Yeah, but all, so many of those debates are happening within the framework of, an, of a development application. Mm-hmm. So 105 Kiefer is a great example of that. You know, really sticky issues, whether uh, you subscribe to Henry's Do Nothing or, you know, we need, uh, we need some, something. Uh, that's still being framed within one project. Mm-hmm. So what's the future of Chinatown? How do we work through these complex issues for a long way? And, and I think actually in Chinatown, we focus too much on the zoning, uh, which is really a blunt tool <laughs> uh, when we could be having a much richer conversation. And so I think Chinatown is just one of those places where we worry about the long range, um, you know, robustness of the neighborhood because we're fighting over small projects. Can you unpack that a bit, Neil? What do you mean by the complications with, with zoning? So in many cases with Chinatown, there was an ambition, I think, I believe. And I'm, I'm not extremely um, deep in on Chinatown. I've just been watching it from afar. Uh, but to allow new development to help revitalize the neighborhood, to bring in new people, because there was a fear that just not enough people walking up and down the street and shopping there. Uh, so they, they you know, tweaked the zoning to allow some larger buildings, or more importantly, to allow buildings that actually might happen, mm-hmm. you know, that were uh, viable developments. And so they, they ratcheted it up and, and put in the rezoning policy, which was generally decent. I think we've had some interesting developments in Chinatown. Uh, so I would love the flats on Georgia. 
uh, the yellow shaded building. Right, right. Um, really great ones. But zoning is kind of a blunt tool. And, the, you know, when you get to a larger parcel like 105 Kiefer, uh, you're like, well, why is this such a big building? Because it was applying what really was zoning for a 25-foot lot to, I can't remember how wide that was, it was 75 or 80 feet um, or even longer. Uh, a lot, and it seemed really awkward. So now the result is, you know, how do we retweak the zoning again? And if anything, Chinatown needs a lot of different things. It does need housing, but it needs um, if any, a, a sort of a collaborative. How can we use what limited public resources we have connected to the the uh, sort of like I want to say the beneficial societies? That's not the right word. Uh, the benevolent associations right. and the incredible amount of nonprofits and young people and older who are doing really important work in Chinatown. How do we connect all those dots to do something uh, really meaningful and long lasting in that place? Because there's a lot of social capital there. Uh, and, and that, quite frankly, I think it's one of my favorite neighborhoods. <laughs> it's a place where more of it, more people are, are discovering. Uh, and so, wow, this is really an amazing place within the city. Right. Uh, so that's, you know, a much bigger ask than, well, how do we find the right height, density and building frontage width? Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. That's super interesting. So we had some folks on talking about Chinatown and just sort of moving broader yeah. here. We're sort of thinking in terms of that Northeast Falls Creek plan that's that's been proposed or unpacked in the last couple of weeks yeah. here. And Adam and I were talking uh, a little bit off mic, but also on mic about how that's going to put some more pressure on on places like Chinatown in terms of development. Yeah. What What are your thoughts on the city's Northeast Falls Creek plan and sort of a more encompassing vision? Yeah, I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm struggling with it uh, a bit. I, it's an exciting plan. I'm happy to see the viaduct coming down and I'm happy to see new neighborhoods evolve. I, the park is going to be uh, amazing. Um, the work on it is really good. You can see the difference. Uh, that's a resource project. Uh, it's a good, great staff team. Um, one of my, I think, one of the best urban designers in the city that nobody knows, uh, Pat St. Michelle. She's incredible. Uh, Holly and Kevin and Cynthia, everyone's doing a fantastic job. Um, at the same time, like, what are we doing there? Uh, what's, what, what's it in the service of? Are, I'm worried that we're making uh, sort of islands of very dense, sort of false creek north version two but it's not part of a bigger city and it has to be so what's its relationship to chinatown to the downtown east side to cross town to north false creek north to strathcona and city gate and neighborhoods beyond i don't know i saw what i saw is a lot of density which is exactly what we we want, need in the city but in pods right which to some degree reflects the fact that there are actually only a few landowners in the area and they own a very large pieces of land. Right. So a Canadian metropolitan owning Plaza Nations, Concord of Concord Pacific with their parcel, a city of Vancouver with its parcels uh, between uh, around Maine, and Tavco has a little bit. Tavco being the you know BC Pavilion, uh, having a very small piece of it, and Aquilini having a small piece of it, and that's pretty much it. So how is this going to all weave together to actually be? Oh, you know, this is part of the city. Right. And, and a plan that, you know, for the city that aspires to be the greenest city in the world, how does that generate a, a way of building a neighborhood? I didn't see it in that plan. You know, we're struggling with affordability. How does affordability uh, manifest? And so how do we really think through these really complex, sticky issues, taking advantage of a phenomenal increase in land value mm -hmm. 
and I'm not, I don't see it there. So that's why I asked, like, what's it in the service of? And why not? I'm, I'm the only person probably in Vancouver who's asking this question. But why does the park have to be so big? <laughs> you are. That's the first time I've ever heard, heard that, that complaint. <laughs> we have this huge public asset. Are we asking, like, what do we really want to use it for? You know, park, absolutely. Big park, yeah, fantastic. But that big of a park? Right. I'll be the only one to raise the question. That's that's an interesting question. I mean, hey, in the eyes of uh, affordability and everything else, yeah, why does the park have to be so big? And it, it's also interesting, too, because we had Holly Savdi on. He was one of our first guests. This was going back kind of a year and a half, closer to two years oh, ago. Great, yeah. yeah, but he was he was talking about the viaducts coming down or the viaducts being a psychological barrier uh, between communities. But it sounds like you have an, a different take that because it's going to be so distinct – that there's still going to be considerable barriers between Crosstown, Chinatown, Strathcona, yeah. and Northeast Falls Creek. Or potentially a park is the new divide. Yeah. Well, the park and the new... Well, and I mean, the idea of an entertainment district, which, you know, I think is a, a bit of an outdated idea, but what's going to be happening in that place? It's going to be a place where it's almost all commercial at, at ground floor. There's not a lot of public outside of the seawall and the park. So are you, if you're from the downtown east side, you're from Chinatown, are you going to feel really like this is part of my city? Right. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I actually hold the critique of False Creek North, which is the Concord Pacific Yaletown uh, area, as being, one, phenomenal. I love that neighborhood. Um, I take my students there all the time. They love it. At the same time, it's, uh, you know, in today's eyes, right? so it's almost suburban in the generous landscaping and public realm. And it, that is that attributes even more pronounced in Northeast Falls Creek. So the seawall looks incredible. Probably the nicest seawall we will ever see, have seen in Vancouver. Uh, is that our priority? Uh, I don't know. Uh, so it, 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 there's just some sticky questions um, I think we have to work through. And I hope that the city will ask really tough questions as it evolves that plan. So in that vein, what are what are some of the greatest challenges facing urban the urban planning community in Vancouver over the next, you know, 25, 50 years? It's a challenging time because we're probably at our greatest level of inequity. Um, you know, you've probably heard that quite a bit. Right. And a lot of people are asking, who's the city for? Uh, and, you know, as for planners, like we're probably going to be asked to do more than ever with less than ever. And this is probably the downside of the Vancouver model that we've done so well with so little, um, you know, we don't have particularly high property tax rates for North American standards, but we're able to deliver what's probably one of the most amenity rich cities. And we're able to do that by leveraging private development. So there's, you know, as we get more and more cutbacks, um, we're asked to fill that in with developer contributions. How sustainable is that model of the long run? So that's, I think, one of the big challenges and moving forward. Just so, just so I understand, what do you see the yeah. challenge being there? Um, because basically the Vancouver, uh, the way that it's been rolled out over the last 20, 30 years, as I understand yeah. it, is developers kind of bend over backwards in order to get their projects done in the city. Do you see that changing? It's... No. Uh, no, I don't. They're going to be asked to do a lot. <laughs> right. Uh, well, the contribution right there. Um, Improvements, I would say public improvements. But the challenge is, I think, with, as False Creek starts to build up, False Creek and downtown delivers tremendous amounts of developer uh, amenity in terms of dollar value. As we start to look at more neighborhood evolution, which is a smaller scale of development, that's just 
you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to deliver that generous of a level of an amenity with the type of development we have moving forward. So that's going to be a challenge. Uh, and I think if anything, we've gone through this period of tremendous um, stability and prosperity. This is not a Vancouver. This is a broader one. How long? Uh, how long will, you know, history doesn't have that many periods of very long sustained stability. So with climate, population, capital flows, technology changes, do we have a good sense that we're set up um, to succeed in the long run? One, one question I'm just, and this is thinking out loud, Neil, but the Vancouver model of low property taxes and relying on private developers to fund amenities has that led in part to what many see as a crisis with a lot of empty homes in vancouver because the global the global attractiveness of the city to to have a second home where you don't have to worry about a huge uh, property tax like is it is there been unforeseen consequences in this model that that could be a part but i would think that's a really small part of it i don't i don't if for those type of global capital flows and i'm not you know i'd ask andy and or or someone like that um if we bumped up the property tax rate, would it be a disincentive? Mm-hmm. Probably not. The reality is we've been successful. This is a beautiful city. Mm-hmm. And, and developers have, have built really good products and they're desirable. And we have uh, economic conditions uh, that are very attractive to global investment and local investment. Uh, actually, I think a lot of those empty homes, uh, if anything, they're, they're not owned by um, international money. They're owned by... Canadian or even Vancouver money, yeah. uh, or certainly Metro Vancouver money. So I think if anything, it's just, well, you know, we built a nice city. Neil, we, we had uh, Frances Beulah on recently, and she was talking about, in a similar mindset, talking about how the city is amazing at leveraging, uh, you know, efforts from developers. How dependent is the urban planning of our city dependent on the market being strong? A lot of it is. I don't know. It, it's a double-edged sword. So one of the benefits of working as a planner in Vancouver is you have such a strong market, whatever you plan for tends to happen. Like if anything, it happened really quickly. Um, and nowadays, it's, it's almost gone the other way where development is anticipating where the plans are and planning now has to start to catch up. So places like the Broadway Corridor, uh, where we're starting to see, I think, much higher land valuations than even last year, which is crazy because they anticipate a plan coming through that will raise densities when the subway happens or if the subway happens. So that's kind of, you know, that's a good thing. But on the downside is, well, how do we deliver affordability? How do we make sure our development is contextual? All those things is challenging when there's so much market pressure. So it's a bit of a back and forth. If you're working in, say, uh, I always pick on Moose Jaw for no reason other than I love Moose Jaw. <laughs> Comparable city. <laughs> Comparable city. Uh, you know, well, you know, we really want to have this new vibrant neighborhood, but no one wants to build here. Right, right. That's, that's, a, that's a different kind of challenge. But boy, we can deliver affordability. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, yeah it's, yes, we rely on it. If we didn't have it, it wouldn't be so bad because there's other things that could fill the gap when we just have a different kind of planning challenge, if that makes sense. So, but yeah, no, it's good. It, you know, it, the city certainly benefits from a robust development market. Are there, so apart from Moose Jaw, are there cities that Vancouver can learn from with respect to urban planning? Or are there, you know, we always think of Vancouver as a global leader, but, um, yeah. you know, are there other cities that, that are good models? 
And, you know, I think we're really fortunate to be part of a community of global cities that um, really are uh, been innovative, and I hope we continue to be innovative. I know, like so many people, we're looking to Europe, you know, Copenhagen. Wow, man, Copenhagen is exciting, or, or uh, Zurich, uh, those types of cities that are just doing amazing, high-quality public realm, really innovative housing, uh, but also benefit from a long tradition of doing that. Cities like Montreal is, is, are always wonderful because they, they have such a interesting, soulful vibrancy that I think many of us here in Vancouver sort of uh, admire, mm-hmm. kind of wish we had more of. Uh, and the Australian cities, of course, Melbourne is a city that stands out as being so interesting. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles, and I'm looking more and more at, at Los Angeles, although it's a city that's challenged. It's doing some really interesting, exciting things. And, of course, Los Angeles has the vibrancy of its informality that I think we kind of, uh, as Vancouverites, we envy a little. You know, the phenomenal street food, the, the ex- you know, the cultural expression that's just really interesting and exciting there. But they don't have as sophisticated of a planning uh, framework as we do. So those are where I look. Uh, And we're such an odd city. We're a wealthy city. So maybe it's a bit harder to learn from um, what's the globalized uh, uh, south, uh, the global south. But there's a lot happening there as well in terms of really getting communities involved in a lot of bottom-up informal planning that's, from my point of view here in Vancouver, really exciting. One thing that's always struck me about Vancouver, and you talk about the informality and in Los Angeles, something like street food. Right now, my my kid goes to um, Lord Roberts Annex right at Nelson Park. So we walk Mm -hmm. through that park every morning and... You know, there's, you know, there's literally tents where people are sleeping outside, and I don't mean to make light of it. Tents, uh, needles on the ground that volunteers are picking up, and there's a huge sign that says "No vending allowed," which has struck yeah. me as like insane that there's not people selling uh, on a nice summer day, you know, uh, whatever popsicles or drinks or it seems nuts. I know, and you know. Not to say that informal vending will be the panacea. <laughs> <laughs> we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who frequents informal vending at a phenomenal rate, when I mix, uh, but yeah, you can imagine like, for, like how in Vancouver can we create platforms of upward mobility, which actually start with informal vending, uh, and. You know, being able to go from that to maybe a truck to maybe bricks and mortar or maybe a, a, a small business. We're actually a tremendous city for small businesses. But what I can't, I never remember the number. It's shockingly how not high the number is, like 80% or 90% of our businesses are 10 employees or less. Wow. So how do we, you know, you know, in the business um, side, yeah, how do we create spaces for them to expand? And we can see that same, even with informal vending and for our fellow residents and citizens who struggle even to maintain the basics and can use maybe informal vending as a leverage. We're actually, of the cities I've lived in, we're one of the most accepting of binners, which I think is wonderful, even though I live off the alley. Uh, (laughs) And the noise sometimes, uh, it it can be something. But, you know, we we are supportive of informal economies. We're actually a city of great informal economies. Our secondary suites are a great uh, example of informal housing economies. Uh, We do that. But how can we do it in a way that helps people move up through um, the economic uh, ladder? Those are some big challenges. 
So Neil, you're someone who's involved in the international planning community and you must meet people from in planning departments from all over the world. What's the number one thing or what are a few things that you hear constantly that people ask you about Vancouver or that they highlight about Vancouver? Like how are we interpreted in the global planning community? You know, it, I find it's um it's really split between wow you know, what have you, you know, you've been a, you've accomplished so much. I've seen the images I've walked in, in downtown Vancouver. Uh, how did you, how did you get so much density? That's always what planners want to know. Everybody in Vancouver is asking that of all the Burnaby planners right now. How did you get so much yeah. density approved? Uh, so there's a bit of that and the wonders and, and how you do it and how do you um, deliver design quality. But then there's the other side of going, oh yeah, it's, you're a small city and, you're, you're able to do it because of a tremendous confluence of fortune. And Vancouver has had this tremendous confluence of fortune. It's a beautiful city, but nice climate. That's wealthy, even though we're not that wealthy. We're perceived as being wealthy mm-hmm. because we have such um, real estate wealth. Uh, so I, there's, I think internationally we're seen for that. I, what people don't recognize and appreciate about Vancouver is how we've been able to leverage private development to fund public amenity. When they find out about that, they get really excited. Of course, planners would always get excited by that. Uh, and, and questions about design, right? How did, how did we generate such great uh, design? And sustainability is something that's got a lot of people really excited about uh, from Vancouver. Right. So, Neil, so what are some of the most exciting currently proposed changes to the city of Vancouver? Like, what, what are you excited about? I'm excited by the small-scale incremental stuff. I think we have the, you know, I look at Strathcona to me, just excites me immensely. And I hope to see those types of ideas start to spread through the city. So the really well-designed, thoughtful, incremental stuff like Coos Corner or the Union Street Eco, was it the Eco Lofts that Shape Architecture did? We have this phenomenal uh, architecture community right now. We have a really great development community and we have all sorts of grassroots exciting different visions and views uh, coming together. We need to create platforms so that they have a more meaningful impact, but wow, that's exciting to me. So there's this idea of Vancouver's neighborhoods evolving into something more complex mm-hmm. and rich and full of options is really interesting to me. What we're doing on the transportation side of shifting to you know bike, walk, transit, that can create a whole different armature grid of smaller scale, more affordable in the fill development that hopefully the housing reset will create the openings to discuss. That's really exciting. Right. And and we are doing really great stuff on, um, I think it's actually underrated how our green building aspirations are going to impact how buildings look, function and feel. Mm. The concrete thin balcony, uh, that's not really going to be a feature of the Vancouver um, <laughs> building moving forward. Uh, the full glass wall, not a feature of buildings moving forward. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's going to drive some, I think, some really interesting innovation, and we just don't know because it's so new. Right, right. And we'll see what the architects do with it. So Neil, we can't let you go without uh, doing the five wire. You have time for that? I guess. Yeah, this is, this is five quick rapid-fire questions here for you. Yeah, yeah. except they're never quite That's as rapid-fire as we, yeah. we say they're going to be. So first of all, Neil, what, what's your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? Strathcona. 
Great. Good oh. answer. Hey, we're coming from a studio live in Strathcona right now. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I was hoping to visit. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, hopefully we can have you back. Uh, Trust me, Neil. You don't want to see where we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's, uh, what's your favorite bar or restaurant, Neil? Oh, geez. Well, I, yeah, the craft beer scene here is just phenomenal. And I'm really loving faculty brewing right now. Um, Wow, so that, that's that's what that's what a dad of a four year old thinks of as a bar. <laughs> See Matt Scalina. Something as that well. I can go to at four eight p.m. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Braden, do you know that one? Braden is our uh, local beer enthusiast. Yeah. yeah, you know that one? Yeah, it's good. It's, it's no brass neck. Oh no, brass <laughs> neck! Oh, fighting words, fighting words. <laughs> Shots fired. It's good though. It's it's Don't good? sleep on Maurizio. Maurizio has a vision. I, I believe in him. It's going to be fantastic. It's already Grant's going to be Awesome. Um, downtown Penthouse, Neil, or Westside Mansion? Downtown Penthouse. Excellent. Easy. Um, but I'll subdivide it. Can I subdivide those? <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first one to ask that question. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Where do you take somebody from out of town, the first place you, you bring a, a visitor? The seawall. Where can you see so much of the city in its, you know, greatest visual glory right. than the false green seawall? Yeah, makes sense. And last, Los Angeles Kings or Vancouver Canucks? That's Calgary Flames. What? What was that? <laughs> Calgary Flames. Calgary Flames. Oh, you're originally from Calgary, right? <laughs> oh, man. The Flames. We, yeah, we were thinking Kings. That's a Kings team with, with soul. <laughs> yeah, jeez, that was Matt. Wasn't that your favorite? Weren't you a Lanny McDonaldite? I, I, yeah, I was going to say Lanny McDonald fan, but <laughs> Ite will also, uh, will when also you're work. that big of a fan, <laughs> <laughs> they call you an Ite. He's that mustache, you can't be halfway gonna, on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Matt's been trying to grow and, a mustache and I'm like all that in. for years. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Honestly. well, th thanks so much for your time here, Neil. We that was an awesome was interview, fun. and uh, and. How can people uh, learn more about what you're doing? Uh, you follow me on Twitter. Great. So N-L-A-M-O-N-T-A-G-N-E. And that's usually where uh, the, the, the usual late night drunk random uh, angry tweets come out of. <laughs> Post-faculty tweets. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, fantastic, Neil. Excellent. Well, hey, have a great day, and uh, we really appreciate it. You too. Keep up the good work. Thanks. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Neil Lamontagne, city planner here in Vancouver and uh, wearer of multiple hats. Yeah, no kidding. Great episode with Neil. Nope. Yeah. I'd love to have him back. Like when we're talking about projects that are kind of really uh, just being unveiled, it would be great to get Neil yeah, back to he's, comment. Yeah, uh, he's going to be a go-to if, he, if he's got the time, which yeah. if, if, I can't well, we imagine really he's going to, but hopefully well, he uh, hopefully We really appreciate him uh, him coming on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it, exciting actually. Next week we got a recurring guest, Tom Davidoff, coming back. Yeah, which is which is great, and he's going to be talking about a. Well, he recently an wrote uh, an opinion piece in the Vancouver Sun, uh, and uh, yeah, we're going to have him on to talk a little bit about that. So stay tuned. But anyways, Matt, th this episode did cause me to do a lot of research. Well, around uh, 105 Kiefer or Northeast False Creek, or no, what you... no, the, uh, the internet search for uh, I want my wife to press. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. My husband wants me to press. Oh, my me. husband. <laughs> <laughs> Come on.
Oh, it's women doing the surgery. Oh, yeah. Adams. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I just doubted myself. Um, but no, but I, it it occurred to me that potentially people who hear this story are actually contributing to the amount of searches yeah, happening now actually, on Google. It, yeah, this was like an I urban searched legend. it five times just kind of trying to figure <laughs> out exactly what was going on. And uh, you're none the wiser. Yeah, turns out all you got to do is ask nicely. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but it, it was uh, no, a brutal joke. Okay, anyways. Um, so, hey, uh, Matt, how can people reach you? Well, first off, I'd like to uh, point out we do have private client services, that real estate research tool. Tons of people signed up. Tons of people very excited about it. Right. It's at our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com slash PCS. Sure. But yeah, other than that, you can reach me. I can set up a search for you. Or if you want to just talk real estate, need help in any way, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And you, Adam? Yeah, and you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Quickly though, Matt, I just want to say we've had so many people sign up for private client services on our website. It's overwhelming. We're literally having people, a few people sign up, uh, you know, daily. Yeah. Um, and we really appreciate that. It's a free resource. It's realtor information. So it's realtor level information. You get usually listing updates about 36 to 72 hours before they hit public MLS. You also get sold prices, days on market. It's the best program out there. It's free. It's no obligation. You don't have to work with us or anything. We but just, we'd love it if you would. We, we would love it if you did work with us. But at the end of the day, we just want to get that information out there because, hey. Information wants to be free. So information wants, wants to be free. There's power in information. Yeah. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you search for real estate in Vancouver. So, Okay, guys. So that's uh, that's a wrap. We'll, we'll be back next Wednesday. And uh, Tom Davidoff next week. week. Yeah, Enjoy. For- Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. 
if you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.